Welcome everyone to episode 2 of Metaconair. I am Gianluca Peinetti and I'm joined today by Jesus Rueda Rodriguez, Metacurp Director of International Affairs. Welcome Jesus. Thank you Gianluca, it's a pleasure. Jesus acts as an industry representative and expert on international level in organizations like the WHO. He has a biochemistry background and he has worked in the field of R&D for diagnostics. Did I forget something? No, that's correct. Together today, we're going to talk about the coronavirus outbreak, which is making the news uh, lately. And we are going to look specifically into the role of uh, medical technologies, the role that medical technologies and the industry has in uh, combating this, uh, this outbreak. Uh, several stories have hit the news today specifically. The biggest one is the spike in num- the number of cases, uh, of uh, confirmed cases of infection in China, uh, following the change in methodology that the authorities have implemented on how they calculate uh, how people are uh, infected. So 15,000 more cases since yesterday. But we also see more stories on the technologies themselves, uh, on the role that they play in, in containing this outbreak, in providing help to uh, healthcare workers and providing care to patients. So today with you, also given your background and your expertise, maybe we can focus more on this. What can you tell us about the role uh, that technologies have in uh, outbreak situations such as this one? Well, um, in practice, we, we have some very specific things that technology can provide. And the news that you refer to are really very telling because it shows how important it is to define a disease and be able to diagnose it properly, to understand what's happening on the ground. And I think that's one of the areas where medical technology is critical when it comes to dealing with outbreaks. And uh, the sector is is well known for diagnosing all kinds of diseases. I mean, most diseases you can diagnose through a blood test or on any other kind of test that can be provided to you in a hospital or through your physician. And so um, our in vitro diagnostic companies have been developing and are working to develop uh, new tests to be able to address this coronavirus situation, so the COVID-19. And um, that's one of the areas where there is a lot of energy being expended right now. And it's one of the places where you can really add a real benefit to the response that we provide to the outbreak because the faster you can identify cases not only makes it easier to treat it for the individual patient so it makes it easier um, it also actually helps the people that don't have the infection to know that they're safe that it's just a normal flu or something else that they have and that's also very reassuring you know the wait time of not knowing it's it's it's, it's very difficult for patients and also it really allows um, the healthcare system, the epidemiologists, to be able to track exactly what's happening. And the better you can track the disease, the better you can control it. So diagnostic tests that are being developed and are really pushing forward towards the market right now to be made available to hospitals are critical. Um, but of course, it's not just about diagnosing the disease. You need to be able to do something with the patients. You know, Once you figure out somebody has a problem, you need to help to address it. And the first thing that you need is you need doctors to be able to handle these patients and to work with them and to be able to you know provide them with the care they need and for that protective equipment is essential so we have and you have seen it's also been in the news a lot of the discussions around the masks where to wear the mask not to wear the masks which kind of masks are better or worse 
But overall, the fact that masks are necessary and that we need to be able to protect our physicians and our people from, from the disease is, is essential. So it's not just about the masks, and there's many different kinds of masks, from simple ones to very complex ones, that provide protection for physicians and also help to prevent the spread of the infection, but also surgical gowns, gloves, and other equipment that exists there for protection. And one of the things that we're seeing that's very interesting in this outbreak um, in some of the countries where it's happening is advanced use of robotics so that you can actually treat patients without necessarily having so much contact with them. So advanced robotics really helps to minimize the contact between physicians and patients because, I mean, it's also been in the news, physicians have been falling sick from the disease. There's been a high-profile case of uh, deaths in, 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 in the physician community that really undermine and make it much more difficult to treat these kind of outbreaks. So being able to protect our healthcare workers so that they can provide care is really important. And then, of course, there is the actual provision of care. Um, this is a disease that really is very dangerous from the point of view of the respiratory system. It affects the respiratory system. That's where it causes the vast majority of the damage initially. And so what patients need is respiratory support, help being able to breathe, ultimately. Um, the WHO has actually made a call for uh, manufacturers to provide insofar as possible more of these devices that help people to breathe. So it includes everything from oxygen concentrators that take the oxygen from the air and provide concentrated oxygen to patients so that when lung function starts to drop, they are able to better respond and to continue to breathe, all the way to situations where as the lung function deteriorates, you can have ECMO systems when these are extracorporeal membrane oxygenation where the blood is taken out from the patient, reoxygenated by this machine and brought back in so that even with very, very impeded lung function, if the heart is still beating, you can continue to keep the patient stable uh, with this system. And that is really valuable. I mean, it sounds a critical situation and it is, but it's valuable because it gives the patient's immune system the time to fight back and to be able to recover. And so the availability and presence of these kinds of technologies can really make a difference in those critical cases where the patients are really in a compromised situation because of the virus. And you have mentioned the fact that the WHO has called for, um, um, let's say, the availability of these kind of products, respiratory care products. Uh, is the industry involved in a collaboration with WHO? Is there uh, a specific uh, process? Are you, uh, as a representative to the organization, um, working with the WHO on this? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, there have actually been several calls for support. Um, so the WHO has issued a call worldwide for industry to support the provision of these these devices to help respiratory support. So that's that's very important, and we're involved with that. Um, we have informed our members, and members are responding um, on an individual basis. So we co help coordinate and help spread the word so that companies can then move this forward and they know who to contact and how to get things there as fast as possible. Because here, time is really of the essence. You want to get these machines and this equipment to where it's needed as fast as possible. So that's, that's what we try to facilitate. Um, the same is true for the EU, actually. The EU also has uh, been supporting China. They received a formal request of support from China, and they responded positively. They sent out tons and tons of equipment to China already, uh, including 
personal protective equipment, gloves, gowns, masks, this sort of thing uh, that was necessary by China. And there's still a collaboration going on between China and the EU. Uh, the EU is taking this very seriously and is really, as a global healthcare emergency, are ready to step up and help provide support, which also requires a collaboration with the industry that can make and provide all of this material. And, and is this something that happens also in the diagnostics field because now we're talking about we're talking about protection we're talking about care you mentioned three elements in the role of technologies in 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 situations like this one so you mentioned also diagnosis and is the availability and the, the speed at which tests and new tests are available also something that touches on the on this uh, collaboration v- very much so uh, even though the process is a little bit different it's different because in the case of you know these systems for respiratory support or for protective equipment, these are things that already exist. They've been designed, they're in production, we know how to make them, we have stocks. And so you can just pick up the stocks, increase production and send it all, all over. In the case of diagnostics, the situation is a little bit different because this is a completely new test. This is something that has to be developed from scratch and then shipped out and, and, and made available. And so there's two big stages to overcome in addition to everything else. One is the R&D stage to actually research, develop, and produce the tests. Thankfully, we have a lot of expertise on this, so this can be done in a relatively short time frame. What is more difficult is the full validation to check how well they perform. Because it's an emergency situation, what happens is that the second step, which is normally the regulatory process to get the approvals, is... Uh, done through an emergency procedure whereby part of the validation happens after it's been made available because it is so important to be able to test already on the field. Now, I want to stress, we know the tests work before they go out there. We just don't know exactly how well they work. So it's not a question of the test you know, not, not, not working. The tests that come out do work. They have been validated. Uh, but we want to collect more and more data to be able to uh, make sure that we don't have cases that slip through. So it's important to continue to collect data on the tests over time to see how they perform. Because like I said, these are really new tests. They've been developed in the last few weeks. Yeah. And is this is this the case now? Because today the European Council uh, released uh, adopted conclusions on coronavirus. And one of the points uh, is uh, that the, the Council urges member states to collaborate also in the field of developing new diagnostics tests. Is this something that is happening is happening right now, or um, will there be a lag or will there be a gap in time uh, between uh, this this call from from the European Union and the actual availability of of tests? Well, these tests are being developed right now, um, and we have had several members and several companies that have already announced that tests are either already available or are imminently available within the next few days. So um, I know at least of four different companies that have made this announcement so far, and there are additional companies that are in the pipeline for developing these assays. Now, it is important to have these assays available because um, it really speeds up the time of diagnosis. Right now, the way in which patients are being diagnosed are through reference laboratories that are really centers of expertise. They know exactly what they're doing. It's places like the CDC in the US, but in Europe we have a list of reference laboratories, one or two per country, really excellent labs that know exactly what they're doing. But like we've seen in China, if the virus spreads and if the infection spreads, the problem is that these reference labs have a limited capacity. They cannot test 
uh, an unlimited number of patients. I mean, we saw today the news of 15,000 new patients diagnosed. Well, one of the reasons why they've changed the criteria for diagnosis in China is because they can't keep up with the test. They don't have enough tests to go around, so they're starting to diagnose now uh, based on symptoms, and that's actually a very important step. But it shows the importance of having sufficient testing capacity, and that testing capacity, when you really have an active outbreak, the reference labs are not always enough to keep up, and you do need individual hospitals to be able to provide the tests. And in addition, when you're working with the reference lab, inevitably you have to collect the sample, ship it to the lab, and wait for the response. And, you know, that'll take some time. If you're able to get the response from the lab that's just down the hall, it makes it much easier and much faster to manage patients and to get things moving. Because, as I mentioned before, it, there's nothing more... Um, surprising to a patient and and maybe anxiety building that having to wait for that test and result and not knowing what the result is going to be. It stresses the family out, it stresses the patients out. It's a a very unfortunate situation. Yeah, and I am assuming also it kind of delays the uh, the time of response, so the yes. time at which a patient can start uh, can start uh, being treated and uh, uh, being provided care. It 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 can delay care though in practice. Here, because most of the care is palliative, so where the care is focusing on the symptoms at this stage, um, that's not a big effect so far. But once we have our pharma colleagues start to develop treatments and therapies that are specific for this, then that definitely would be a consideration, yes. So the industry, as I understand, is actively involved uh, in in, uh, containing the situation. It is providing equipment for diagnosing the virus. It is providing equipment to healthcare workers for protecting themselves in in dealing with uh, people that are infected. And it is providing also treatment um, machineries and products to uh, provide care for the people that are infected. Um, How do you see now in the future with the outbreak also starting to spread outside of China. How do you see the situation evolving and how do you see the reaction of industry changing to adapt to this uh, evolving situation? Mm. Well, it's it's interesting to see how how the virus is evolving and how we're seeing the, the situation grow outside of China. So far, we've had a number of cases in Europe and around the world. Uh, But by and large, they are contained. So it hasn't resulted in a big explosion of cases anywhere outside of China. Um, And that's really important. And uh, what we will be trying to do in Europe is really to maintain the virus contained at this stage. Um, That is the most important thing from the European side. So in order to do that, it's important that you have sufficient um, availability of technology both in Europe and in China. So that's one of the balances that industry is going to have to go through to try to build up capacity and be able to address the needs of all the regions of the world. The other thing that's important is that this is really um, a global issue. So national responses are never going to be sufficient to this, and we're going to see much more coordination at the international level, both within industry, with organizations around the world. Um, it might be that the United Na- the WHO actually has the opportunity to trigger what's called an emergency use listing for diagnostics, whereby they, they assess diagnostic tests, and we're looking at how that can be done. Um, to be able to recommend which tests to use when and where. That would become very valuable. Now, it hasn't been triggered yet. Uh, It's something that might happen in the future, but it's the kind of next step that could come 
and show exactly, okay, what is it that we're working towards? How is it that we're making this better? So at the end of the day, I mean, we all want this thing to go away. That's our ultimate aim. And, and so the industry will continue to provide support for the people that are sick, trying to identify them and, and really provide protection for those people that need to care for them in the hospital or elsewhere so that the, the, the spread is minimized and the infection is contained. That's the most important thing. Well, thank you, Jesus. It's been really an interesting conversation. I mean, this is a very current topic and we are going to see it evolve in the, in the, in the coming weeks and hopefully not months. Um, so thank you for being with us. Thank you, Gianluca. It's been a pleasure. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. And if you want to know more about medical technology, visit our website at medtecheurope.org and follow us on social media.